mighty King, help us thy name to sing. Come worship Christ the King, Alleluia, Amen. Praises to Him we bring, Alleluia, Amen. Alleluia, Amen. Come lift your hearts on high. Alleluia, Amen. Let praises fill the sky. Alleluia, Amen. He is our guide and friend. Our lives on Him depend. His love will never end. Alleluia, Amen. Alleluia. Come worship Christ the King. Alleluia. Come worship Christ the King. Praises to Christ belong. Alleluia. Amen. Life shall not end the song. Alleluia. He came to live, live a perfect life. He came to be the living word our life. He came to die, so we'd be reconciled. He came to rise, to show his power and might. That's why we praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this king. Cause he gave his everything. Cause he gave his everything. He came to live, live again in us. He came to be our conquering king and friend. He came to heal and show the lost ones his love. He came to go, prepare a place for us. That's why we praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this king. Cause he gave his everything. Halle, halleluja. Halle, halleluja. Halle, halleluja. Halle, halleluja. That's why we praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship.
worship this king Cause he gave his everything Cause he gave his everything Blessed be your name In a land that is plentiful Where streams of abundance flow Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's sing everybody in tonight. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still. in right quick. If you do need to take communion, you can uh, exit the rear of the auditorium and be served over in our fellowship area and then come back in for the remainder of our time together this evening. Let's, uh, let's continue with our worship and song. And I'm going to ask that you stand, please, for these next few songs. <clears throat> 
How wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. How wonderful Savior to me. He hides my soul in the quest of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. He hides my soul in the quest of the rock that shadows the dry thirsty land. He
John Collier will come and lead us in prayer this evening.
together please father God we are so thankful for this time we can gather together tonight we're thankful father for these Sunday evenings when we can uh, come together in a little bit more of an intimate setting dig a little bit deeper into your word and hear the word father that you had for the believers of uh, within your church many many years ago father the words that through your inspired means are now as applicable to us as they were at that point in time. Father, we thank you for this time together. We pray for Gordon leading us through our study of First and Second Peter this evening. Father, we also receive encouragement just from being together. Father, I thank you for those that are here this evening. I thank you for the encouragement they are to me, that we are to each other. And Father, I just thank you for the, the bond we have in you, the bond through Christ, that gives us that common unity and that special uh, spiritual connection with one another. Father, as we approach this Christmas season, Father, we're just so thankful for all that you have provided for us. Father, we know that there are many in need as we approach this season. And Father, we just pray that you'll watch over those that have needs, whether they be physical needs or emotional needs or whatever they may be, Father. You will tend to them. You will give them an extra dose of your peace and your comfort through this holiday season, Father. Help us all to appreciate the giving nature of this season. Help us to all find joy and contentment and to share that joy with others. And Father, I just pray that uh, you'll help us to be a, a shining light to others. And Father, most of all, I thank you for your son, that the world celebrates his birth at this time of year. Father, we're just so thankful that there is a time that many people focus on your son, Father. May those times be ever increasing. And Father, as, as we, are, we are told in John 3.16, we, we know that you gave us your son because you loved this world and you loved us, Father. Help us to know that love, to remember that love, and to feel your love, Father, on a daily basis. Help us to share that love with others. Be with us through the remainder of this evening, Father, and I pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Jesus is Lord, my
Amen. Thank you, John Scott, and thank you for being here tonight, making the choice to come worship God and start your week off centered and aligned with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 2 again tonight. Um, Jacob got us into it last week. The whole chapter is about false teachers. Uh, interesting here, teachers. Not false teachings as much. Uh, the chapter is really about false teachers, which is interesting. You would think Peter would spend a lot of time on what they were teaching, but he doesn't do as much of that. He talks more about the content of their lives uh, rather than the content of their teaching, which is interesting. We'll talk about that tonight. Um, Anyway, several interesting topics. Perhaps tonight's more of a Bible class than a sermon because there's just several different topics here in the second half of 2 Peter chapter 2 that I think would benefit us from digging into a little bit. So we're going to do that. Chapter 2 is a pericope. You're welcome. I gave you a Christmas gift tonight that you know a cool word that you can share with your friends. It's a pericope. The Bible is full of pericopes, by the way. Just, it's, a, it's a coherent thought. It's a coherent argument. Um, usually in our Bible, there will be a paragraph, and that's a pericope. There might even be a title that somebody stuck on top of their paragraph just to help us out. Like, I think my title here is um, False Teacher, the NIV I was looking at this week, False Teachers and Their Destruction. Um, so think paragraph. Of course, original language, there, weren't, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of punctuation going, there was no punctuation going on in the original manuscripts. There, there was just a giant run-on sentence. Uh, there were not paragraphs. There were not handy little, you know, titles above the paragraph. So I'm very grateful for the Bibles that we have today that divide them up. Usually you can see where a thought kind of starts and ends, and you might even get some idea what the thought is about by something somebody put on there. Um, and so before we dive into chapter 2 once again tonight uh, on false teachers, I think it's good just to kind of get our bearings by reminding ourselves what we talked about already in chapter 1 um, because we talked about some big things. It's kind of like I was imagining this week a small dog running through tall grass they can kind of lose their way a little bit unless that dog can hear the master's call from the front porch. And we kind of got the call in chapter one uh, uh, and uh, some of the things we learned already uh, as the master is the point of focus in chapter one, 12 times, dozen times in that chapter, we're referred to Jesus, we're referred to our Lord, we're referred to the Savior, uh, our master. Um, and then our, we find out in chapter one, the very first verse, our faith comes uh, from his righteousness, through his righteousness, not our own righteousness. We learn in verse three uh, that his, Jesus, divine power has given us everything that we need to live godly lives and to actually grow in his righteousness. You know, we don't just presto become righteous overnight, but we grow in his righteousness, in his godliness. Uh, we learn in verse 10 of chapter 1 that we have a calling in Jesus. He puts a calling on our lives. So again, we get back to that idea of the master's call, the master's calling. Made me think of John chapter 10 this week of how his sheep know his voice. And so before you get in the weeds with false teachers and perhaps false teachings, um, it's good to be reminded of the truth and the calling and the master and all of that. And where is he calling us to? Verse 11, he's calling us to his eternal kingdom. So those are 
all good bearings, good reference points uh, that we get into before we jump off in chapter 2. Um, and it's interesting, Peter himself said this idea of being reminded of his call. He said in verse 18 of chapter 1 that he says, we ourselves heard the Lord's voice. And he's probably talking quite literally about him and James and John. You know, remember when we were on the Mount of Transfiguration and we heard, we heard God's voice, we heard Jesus' voice. Uh, the, it, it was an amazing moment that he refers to. Uh, and so Jesus, his glory, his grace, um, poured over us. They keep this point of reference in mind. The master's voice calling us uh, above all the other noise, right? The noise of culture. This time of year, the noise of the busyness that we get into. Uh, and the noise, chapter 2, of false teachers who were apparently roaming around these early churches uh, trying to get people off course. So again, chapter 2, more about false teachers over false teachings. But we have a pretty good idea of the false teachings that were circulating at the time. There were quite a few of them. We're talking about big things, not little things. We're not talking about whether you celebrate Christmas or not. You can go to Romans 14. Peter, I mean, uh, Paul is going to write, not specifically about the Christmas holiday, but all sorts of holidays. Who cares? That's between you and the Lord and your brother or sister. That's between them and the Lord, whether they observe a special day or not. Don't worry about that. Uh, keep your opinion on that to yourself. So Peter and Paul and John are concerned with big things, big things. Like John and his little apostles is very concerned about Gnostic teachings. Gnostic teachings um, boil down the idea that you have a body and you have a soul. Doesn't mat much matter what you do with your body. The soul is to be kept pure. Your body can be a playground. Your body, you do whatever you want with it. That was a Gnostic teaching. Um, and we find out, of course, throughout Scripture, God cares about all of you. He wants you to worship him with your mind, with your body, with your, your strength, right? Uh, he wants you to love you with all that you are, not just a part of who you are. Um, and honestly, I think Peter was probably thinking about some of the Gnostic teachers in chapter 2 because what he says in, verses, in verse 18, it sounds like maybe some of those guys were spreading some of this Gnostic stuff. Listen to what he said. He said, they brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting. Okay, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. Like maybe they're going around saying, you can practice sex outside of marriage. You can do adultery. Yeah, that's your body. God doesn't care about your body. He cares about your soul. Maybe that's some of the stuff that they were teaching, some of this Gnostic stuff. Sounds super messed up. And then just to show you how my mind is messed up this week, as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking that's the kind of thing like Bravo would want, want to make a reality show about. They don't want, they wouldn't put this on TV, like teaching, you know, truth and opening the Bible. They would be, oh, perverse preachers. That, that could really be a good reality show. Twisted teachers and follow these people around that are, live these sexually immoral lifestyles and try to entice other people to do that because we're messed up and society is messed up. It was then, it is now. Um, so we got these people, religious 
teachers running around uh, appealing to people's uh, twisted sexual desires, trying to lure people into more promiscuous, uh, unholy lives, and they were quote-unquote teachers. So that's going on. Uh, switching to Paul, so we did a little John and a little Peter blended in with that. Uh, the Apostle Paul was often very concerned with, quote, Judaizing teachers. Okay, people that were, uh, pe- teachers that were going around saying Jesus is good, but, you know, you need the law of Moses or whatever it was that they were promoting, the certain elements of the law. You need that as well. Uh, Judaizing teachers, or we might use the word legalists, um, that were promoting this idea, you know, Jesus is great. Not enough, but, but he's great. Um, so that was going on. But again, big false teachings. There were people who went around saying Jesus was raised on the third day, but not actually physically raised. It was more of a spiritual resurrection. Wasn't raised. In, that, that was a false teaching of the day. Um, and anyway, back to Second Peter chapter 2. The apostle doesn't give us real specifics on the false teachings. He mentions a few things in, in some vagary here, uh, points to some sort of blasphemy. Uh, verse 10, he says, These people are proud and arrogant, uh, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. I mean, what, is that, what was that exactly? Scoffing at at supernatural beings, making fun of angels or something. I don't know. Uh, But in our pericope from Peter, the emphasis of, like I said, it's not on the specifics of what they were actually saying. It was really on the way they were conducting themselves, uh, these teachers. And I think that that's interesting. Um, I would think, I don't know about you, I would just naturally kind of assume the way you spot a false teacher is let's hear their teaching and let's compare it to what the Bible says. By the way, I think that's a good thing to do as well. Um, No one's saying not to do that. But Peter says, you know what? You can identify false teachers by actually looking at the way they live. So, immorality. These were immoral people. Uh, immorality typified the way they did relationships, the way they conducted themselves. And they were essentially, as we read, we're going to read a big chunk right now. And I wouldn't usually read this much, but I want you more than getting in on the details, the granular stuff. Look at the picture that Peter is going to paint here. And you're going to see sin addicts. These false teachers were sin addicts. So here we go. Pick it up in verse 12. But these, so we're talking about the false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they're ignorant. They will be destroyed in their destruction. Okay, that's an interesting, destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless 
donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. They are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions to the flesh, of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And then the last piece here. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. It would, this is a really powerful statement, um, kind of a head scratcher even. Um, he says, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Um, and then this proverb really shows you how Peter feels. The, the true proverb says, has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, uh, returns to wallow in the muck, in the mire. So we've got these people, and perhaps their words were winsome, their rhetoric captivating, but even just, it looks like even a quick look at their lives showed uh, that the testimony that they had was worthless. I mean, they were slaves of sin. Some of them had, had, it looks like, overcome some things in their lives and then just gone right back to it. Um, and so the content, any notion that the content of their teaching had any worth is debunked by just looking at the way they lived, the way they conducted themselves. So their teaching, verse 17, was without value, waterless springs, um, and mists driven by a storm. Let me ask you something. What is the value of a waterless spring? It doesn't have value. It's, to call it a spring is kind of funny. Uh, mists driven by a storm. They are verse 18. They speak loud boasts of folly. They brag about stupid stuff. Uh, verse 19, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of, of corruption. Um, uh, yeah, so it would, I mean, you might walk away and naturally assume that Peter, his talk about, so he doesn't get into specific teachings here in chapter 3, but more their lifestyles. And then you would also think, Peter, uh, you're going to tell us what we, the church, need to do about false teachers. What do we need to do with these guys? No, he doesn't focus in on that in 2 Peter 2. He focuses in on <clears throat> other texts. By the other texts will do that, okay? Not here, though, in Peter, uh, in, in 2 Peter. What he's going to do, he's going to tell us what God is going to do with them. Not what we're going to do with them or should do with them. What God is for sure going to do. Like they're going to be handled. And Jacob did a nice job last week telling us we don't need to be 
the doctrine police. And that's right in line with what he says in the second half of the chapter as well. God is going to take care of these folks. Um, his, his writing isn't crystal clear on what they were teaching, but it's crystal clear on what was in store for these false teachers. They will certainly be punished by God. None of them is going to get off scot-free. Uh, verse 17. Listen to these words too, because we're going to hear these words, or we heard them already a little earlier in chapter 2. He says, For the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them. What is he talking about? I think it's a very clear reference to hell. I think this is an unambiguous reference to eternal punishment. Um, and I say that because, so we've got, the, we've got quote, the gloom of utter darkness right there. And then I put both verses up there. Earlier when he was talking about these sinful, rebellious angels, he uses almost, I mean, kind of the same words. He says in verse 4, God did not spare even the angels. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. Um, so verse 17, uh, false teachers, gloomy uh, of utter darkness, and then that's 17, and then verse 4, gloomy pits of darkness for rebellious sinful angels. It's, it's talking about hell. Uh, in the end, God is going to take care of these false teachers. And there are folks who think and talk a lot about hell these days, or, or uh, exactly what it's going to be like seems to be a question that a lot of people talk about. Or, or the duration of hell, is it eternal conscious torment? Or there are some who now say, is it destruction once that has an eternal consequence? Okay, here's what we know. Pretty much everyone who thinks seriously about hell or what the Bible says about hell, it is not a place you want to go. It is a place of punishment. Um, it is a place no one wants to end up. If, if anyone gets a glimpse of what that is, it is bad. Now, what we can also tell, uh, based on what Peter said, it is a real place. It is real. Um, by the way, our master whose voice we listen to, our master Jesus, it's interesting. He had more to say if you're just doing word count, Jesus had more to say in the four Gospels about hell than he did about heaven. It's interesting. Um, and Jesus talked about hell as if it were a real place. And since he is the authority of our lives, we must believe that it is real. If Jesus believed in hell, I need to believe in hell. Um, and this is what is very interesting and important, uh, more than interesting, it's an important thing. Jesus, God, honestly, the whole Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God does not want people to end up there. We know that. Um, Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He doesn't want people to go there. That's why he's always warning people about hell. And then, by the way, a little spoiler alert because we haven't gotten there yet, but the next chapter of Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 9, Peter actually tells us explicitly, God wants everyone to repent. God does not want people to go to hell. And in case, and he says that, in case, I won't preach that whole sermon because we'll get to that in a little bit, but um, in case you're wondering, why does God let all this stuff happen? Why doesn't God just wrap things up? Uh, Maranatha, come back. Uh, Peter says it's because he doesn't want anyone to, it to perish. 
He wants everybody to repent. So God does not want people to go to hell. But we are told in chapter 2, God will deal with these false teachers. Um, They will go to hell. I once heard a preacher say about hell, and I thought this was good and wise. He said, hell is God's quarantine solution for people who prefer to hold on to their own sin rather than accept God's cleansing. Um, And ultimately, ultimately, this is the thing about hell. It exists because of God's love. You often hear this used as, well, God must not be a loving God because of hell. No, it's actually the, the contrary. Because God is loving, hell must exist. Um, His love demands it. If you think about it, um, there's really no other way. I mean, God loves us. He loves us more than we can conceive. God wants for people to love him back. But this is what we know. Love, real love, always requires that the other person have the freedom, that the other person has the choice not to love them back. Does that make sense? If you love someone, you will certainly allow them not, you're not going to chain them to you. You're going to allow them not to, you can, you can woo them, you can serve them, you can sacrifice for them, you can give them gifts. What you cannot do if you love them is make them love you back. Love demands that they have the choice. And so if a person goes to hell, it is because ultimately and finally God is honoring their choice. You told me with your entire life, from start to finish, you don't love me. You don't want a relationship with me. Okay, I'll honor that choice. Peter Kreeft, uh, a Christian philosopher at Boston College, wrote this. He said, those who do not wish to love God must be allowed not to love him. Those who do not want to be with God must be allowed to be separated from him. So, uh, people who go to hell have chosen to live apart from God, and hell is God ultimately and finally honoring that choice. So we've got these false teachers that Peter is talking about. They have chosen to live far from God. um, And worse, they're trying to convince others. They're teachers. They're trying to convince others to follow them in leaving the gospel, in leaving the holiness of God. Um, And that's where we get to this interesting reference of Balaam. Again, emphasis on teachers not teaching. The emphasis here is not on the specific teachings of Balaam. Who was this guy? Balaam, son of Beor. He was, air quotes, a prophet. He was a prophet. I say air quotes because he was a prophet for profit. (laughs) He was a for-profit prophet, okay? Um, If you paid him money, he would bless somebody. You pay him money, he'll curse somebody. That's the way this guy Balaam rolled. Um, He only did in the Bible what was right when a gun was put to his head, when God made him. And God actually, as we know, this is the part you, you definitely, you remember this Bible story when you were six years old. If you went to church back then, um, it's the time we've got the talking donkey, right? God had a donkey rebuke 
Balaam. Um, so this guy was messed up. And anyway, here's where I want to wrap up because I think this is, when you think about where am I supposed to land here, Peter? What am I supposed to take away from this? Um, I really think, for me at least, it is a reminder, chapter 2, of how blessed we are to have the Bible to have the complete written revelation of God. I walk away from this and I'm like, man, you talk about all the gifts you get. This, is, this has got to be right up there at the top. I mean, what an incredible gift that we have. I hear people sometimes, and so you're going to have to listen to a little bit of a rant. You don't have to agree with all of it, but this is my rant tonight. I hear people talk sometimes about, wow, wouldn't it have been great to have been part of the first century church? You know, to have lived in the first century. And wouldn't that have been an amazing thing? Of course, that romantic idea for me, it doesn't really fit with Scripture because the actual churches that we know about in the first century were kind of messed up. I mean, take a trip to Corinth and see if you want to be part of that, of that church when you read about what was going on in that church. But more than that... Um, if you want to go take a time machine, and I'm going to live and be part of the first century church because it was, it was so great. Well, first thing you got to do is rip your New Testament out of your Bible. They didn't have it. They might have had some scraps. They might have had one letter, two letters from Paul uh, circulating around, but they, could not, they did not have what you have in the palm of your hand. The 27 books of the New Testament, the 66 books of the entire, they didn't have it. Uh, and they, did, they wouldn't have it uh, until late in the first century. And even then, an individual wouldn't have had a Bible. I mean, unless you were like, um, you know, fourth century, sixth century. Maybe if you were extremely wealthy, you might have um, the Bible in your hand. But without this definitive canon of the inspired scriptures that we are so blessed to have today, um, you can begin to imagine, why would anybody listen to these crazy teachers with these immoral lifestyles? Well, it was harder to check people on things. <laughs> I mean, it was harder to check the teaching. Um, so it was a lot easier, if you will, to distort the teachings of Jesus. To twist the teachings of the apostles. Much easier, thousand times easier in the first century than today. Um, anyway, so you get to the motives. Now, the motives, we have some of the same motives in play today. And that's where, you know, we, we just do. Because human beings, our, our sinful streaks have not changed that much in 2,000 years. Uh, you've got people motivated, chapter 2, verse 14, by greed. Okay, money, financial gain, material gain. Uh, and then you've got people motivated, uh, false teachers in chapter 2, verse 19, by, uh, that was verse 14. Verse 19 is by general depravity. And I, I guess there's that today too. Um, but Gordon we have false teachers today. I mean, don't we? Well, yeah, we do. We also have the Bible. <laughs> we also have the whole canon of Scripture, and that's pretty great. Not only do we have it, you have it in the palm of your hand. Like, you, have, you may have a paper Bible. You've probably got it on your smartphone, and you may have 35, I don't know how many translations there are 
on you version. There's a lot of different translations. You may have it on your tablet. Uh, you have the Bible in an incredible way. By the way, last week, this is not a brag. I hope you'll hear me out on this, but last week I finished the, the Bible readings for 2022. We're doing those as a church together uh, through the Bible Project uh, program, and I got to finish, got done a little early, but I was after Isla. She finished er earlier than I did. Um, but so for me, and you have your own story with God's Word, but for me, um, this is the first time I read it cover to cover in the ESV version, uh, the ESV version. I read it years ago in the New American Standard, and then the NIV, and then the New Living Version, and then I read it through the message. And then the other thing, uh, this is the first year I listened to it for the first time, cover to cover, just listened. Um, some days, a couple of days I read it, or and sometimes I would stop because I would hear something so interesting, I'd hit the pause button and have to go and look at it and highlight it or whatever. Whatever, uh, but just amazing to me uh, that the access that we have to the Word of God, it blows me away. Because I think about these folks in the first century um, that, you know, we think sometimes some people want to trade places with how, how ideal in the first century. But how hard for these people reading Peter and Paul and John or whatever they could read, probably not read, just hear once in church. Uh, to actually get their hands on that would have been an incredible feat for most of these folks. But how hard for these people to read through the Bible in a year. Something that many of us have done and are doing, have done before, maybe done many times before. How easy that is for us. How hard it would have been for them. Um, like how challenging to even live in a physical geographical location where you would have access to the scrolls of the Old Testament. How many people would have that even possibility? Um, and how much of the New Testament would it even been possible for them to get their hands on if they had tr used every resource available? Maybe 30% of the New Testament? 50% of the New Testament? Um, so, hey, it was amazing in the first century how the gospel spread, God-given growth in the kingdom of God uh, around the, the Roman world. It would have been incredible to have been alive then, and maybe you could have heard Peter preach, or John talk about his revelation, or, you know, Paul, you know, seen a miracle on a Sunday morning, one of the apostles heals somebody, or, 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 you know, I mean, that would have been, that would have been something. Yeah, I wouldn't trade places with them, though. I, not, not in a heartbeat. I've got the entire Bible in my hands. Um, that's really hard to think about giving that up. Um, and so we know the story of Jesus. You and I, able to preach about the birth story. We, we've got the story of Jesus from the four gospel writers. Think about that. We get four eyewitness accounts to the life and teaching of Jesus. It's amazing. We know the gospel. We know the testimonies of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus uh, from, these from the gospels yeah, and from the inspired writings of the apostles. Uh, so we know about Jesus. We know about the gospel. We know uh, a lot of the New Testament is how do you live it out? How do we do life together as a church community? Um, uh, we know about the hope that we have in heaven um, because we have the entire... Anyways, yeah. So that's my rant tonight. Thank you for listening. Um, you can disagree. Uh, maybe you would prefer to go back to the days where there was no indoor plumbing and you didn't have a Bible. I don't know. Uh, maybe you would prefer that. Um, 
uh, it would be kind of neat to meet the apostles and some of these folks that we read about. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. Um, I'm just grateful that in the year 2022, uh, we have this perfect and complete gift of the Word of God. And I would just not want to give that up. Let's close out tonight in prayer, if you would bow with me. Oh, Lord, we have so much for which we are thankful. Thankful as a people, thankful as families or even individuals. And we cannot ever repay you for what you have given us. The forgiveness of sins. We enjoy that through your sacrifice. It's a gift we could not have ever purchased on our own. The presence of the Holy Spirit that you have given us freely to help us become who you want us to become. We couldn't have ever gotten that on our own. We're thankful tonight for the saints who surround us, who support us, for our church family. And we're thankful for the gift of your word. And we're thankful for the hope that we have in heaven. Lord, we could go on for hours and days thanking you for what we have and what we enjoy. We just want you to know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we want you to know that we are thankful. May the testimony of our lives, unlike that of these false teachers that Peter was speaking about, may the testimony of our lives, not just what we say, but how we live and how we influence people, may it bring you honor. May it help people come to Jesus who don't know Jesus. May it help our brothers and sisters at church who do know Jesus grow in their faith. May our lives do that as we are salt and light, as we are leavening, as we are influencing people around us. This is our prayer. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you for being here tonight.